agreed to share her testimony of how God has worked to bring her to faith in Jesus Christ. And so Bree, come and share with us. Good morning. A couple disclaimers. First, I'm kind of losing my voice today, so if it goes out, I'm sorry. <laughs> also, I will cry, so <laughs> just a warning. <laughs> so here's the skinny on what God's been doing in my life. I grew up in a Bible-believing home. My family was at church when the doors were open, and I had memorized many verses through programs like Awana and Sunday School. But it wasn't until I was six years old at a communion service that I started asking questions about God. I was hungry and wanted the little bread wafer and grape juice. And my mom had the nerve to tell me no, because I didn't believe in God and I wasn't saved. I started asking her, what does that mean? And after a long trip home, my dad sat down with me and started sharing the gospel, beginning in Genesis. None of this was new information to me, but for some reason that night, it made sense. It was then that the Holy Spirit began using the Bible verses I had been memorizing to teach me about how I was a sinner and that my sin had earned me death. Romans 6.23 talks about how the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it was that verse that made me realize that I needed that gift of salvation. That night in November of 2004, I asked God to forgive my sins, and I told him I wanted to live for him. Fast forward to eight years old, I got baptized when I learned that Jesus said that we are to be baptized to tell people that we follow him. I was so excited and I was ready to show everyone that I loved God. But my foundation was based on sandy soil in many ways. God has been working in me by knocking down the house I built on shaky ideas and building a firm foundation on him to base my life off of. From eight years old up until junior high, there wasn't a ton of change in my life. To most people, I was a well-behaved kid who said the right things and did the right things. However, come seventh grade, I became a bully, a terrible influence on my friends, and a jerk to my siblings. The summer between eighth and ninth grade at Camp Fairwood, God opened my eyes to my selfishness and showed me how I was not living like a follower of Christ. I was living for myself and what I wanted rather than for God and what he wanted. God used that week to begin a huge change in my heart and reveal many areas that would later be, cha be challenged. The first year or two in high school was rough. I had been, been a bully to all my friends, and now I had little to no relationship with those friends. It wasn't enough to just not be a bully, but God began teaching me how to serve others and learn how to love the body of Christ the way he does. Out of high school was a scary time, and after failing a college class, which was devastating for a people pleaser like myself, I realized most of my identity was based on how I wanted to be seen and known, rather than having people see and know Christ through me. After the first round of college, there was a very stressful year where the church that I grew up in began making decisions that were hurting people. These decisions... These decisions deeply hurt myself and my family. During that heartbreaking year, God made me realize how I had idolized the church and how I had been relying on man's teachings of the Bible rather than being a Berean and going back to the Bible to see that what the, these people were teaching were true or not. God used that to then push me to go to Bible school in Waukesha, where he began showing me how often I dwelled on the unknowns of life and let fear control my decisions. He taught me how fear does not come from him, but power, love, and self-control does. Through learning these truths that I had never embraced and learning what the church is supposed to be like, God used my time at the school to teach me the importance of living in community with other believers, the value of being mentored by older women, I did not say old women, I said older women, <laughs> and how to find a church who values God, scripture, and God's people in the way he had designed it to be. 
And while at Bible school, God led me here, where I have had to learn how to get to know a church without knowing anyone in it, and let them get to know me, having known nothing about me. God isn't done working in me yet, but I am thankful that he led me to a community where I can be encouraged, challenged, and confronted as he continues to change me, and I desire to do the same for those here. Thank you, Pui. You're not the only one that cried. Uh, isn't it wonderful to hear testimonies like that? And, uh, you know, in, in a sense, every testimony is the same because it's the work of God that works in us. Uh, just different approaches, different uh, paths that we travel as we come to the place of salvation. So praise God for that. Our scripture reading this morning is in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 12. Proverbs chapter 3. Please follow as I read. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord the Lord reproves I'm sorry. The Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Thank you, Tony. Well, I think maybe the two most familiar and maybe the most quoted verses in Proverbs are here in our sermon text for today. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. That certainly is great advice. It is certainly full of wisdom. God's way is always better than our way. Trusting God in His way instead of our own man-made solutions and remedies indeed is best. And I'm glad that because we all know that, because we, we know that God's way is better than our way, all of us always trust in the Lord rather than in our own understanding, right? Wrong. The, the struggle, that particular struggle between God's way and our way goes way back to ancient times. In fact, it goes way back to the Garden of Eden where life was a lot less complicated. God had told Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the earth and to have dominion over the earth and they could eat from every tree except this one particular tree. All, all the other trees provide the fruit that you need. And it was just communicated clearly not to eat from that one particular tree. The, these are the clear and explicit teachings given to us about what God commanded Adam and Eve. And we know... We, we know what happened in the midst of all of that, don't we? Um, they, dis, dis, they disobeyed a clear commandment that God had given to them. They trusted their own understanding rather than trusting God with all of their heart. 
Um, and it is that sin that has corrupted the entire human race. Um, that led to all of the brokenness that we experience in our world today. Um, one of the principal struggles today is for us to want to go our own way rather than God's way. It really manifests our pride and our unbelief. So, what do we do? When we come to Proverbs and we hear all of the appeals to embrace wisdom and to trust God with all of our heart, what, what do we do? Do we just try harder? Uh, we, we know that from experience and from what the Word says, we all have fallen short. Do, do we just pull up our bootstraps? Do we get back on the saddle and do we just try harder? Will, will sheer determination make the difference? Like that little train who kept repeating, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. There are, in fact, no shortages of man-made solutions to the problems that we face. The self-help section of books, most bookstores are, are very popular. Uh, maybe you've heard of Jordan Peterson and the 12 Rules for Life, or Dale Carnegie and How to Win Friends and Influence People, or Norman Vincent Peale on the Power of Positive Thinking, or Stephen Covey on the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, or the Dalai Lama, The Art of Happiness. I, I could go on and on. There, there are no shortages of books that want you to believe in yourself, to love yourself, and to trust your gut when you face problems and opportunities in life. I, I agree with one thing regarding all of those self-help books. There, there is a problem. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. We, we need help. We, we need help now. And like our youngest granddaughter when she was being potty trained, she, she wanted to use the toilet all by herself. She wanted to be independent. She was self-sufficient. She didn't need any help. But Every time when she was done, she'd cry out, I'm done. And, and if we didn't come running right away, this is what we would hear. I need help! <laughs> we all need help. So where does that help come from? Who, whose help is best? Whose help is right? Whose help is filled with godly wisdom? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tells us that it is Jesus who, and I quote, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Paul goes on in verses 15 through 20 to tell us more about this Jesus. And I quote, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning, the firstborn, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, in light of who Jesus is and what he has done to redeem a people for the glory of the Father, we understand why the Spirit says to the Apostle Paul then in Colossians 2, verses 6 through 10, and I quote, Therefore, 
as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, live in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So where, where does our help come from? It comes from Jesus, and there is no better help. So when we come to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and you hear the call to embrace wisdom, to be faithful covenant keepers, obeying God's law, and trusting God with your whole heart and not your own understanding, you, you need to remember three important things. One, you can't do this. And two, Jesus did it for you. And three, through faith in Jesus and His work of redemption, the Holy Spirit empowers you to obey and trust the Lord with all of your heart. For you see, Jesus is the true Son of Wisdom. When you see the way of the wise in Proverbs, we see Jesus, who is to us wisdom from God. When, when you read Proverbs and you see the way of the fool, who do you see? <laughs> you see me. You see you. You see all of us. Our our only hope to be wise is to walk with the wise, to find our life in Jesus, the true Son of Wisdom. Through faith in Him, we can grow in wisdom. So with that in mind, let's dig into verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3. And here, you're going to find six primary, primary exhortations or commands, and these are found in the odd number verses, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, and 11. And then, in the even-numbered verses, you'll find the corresponding blessings of walking with the wise. So, as you walk with the wise, or as you live by faith in Jesus, saved by His redemptive work, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, number one, don't forget the Lord's teachings. Verse 1 again says, My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. So notice again that Solomon writes as a wise father to his son. And the first thing that he says is this, don't forget my teachings. Uh, the Hebrew word for teaching is Torah or law. As a wise father, Solomon would have learned wisdom from what God had revealed through the law. And so Solomon's teaching would be teaching that ultimately came from the Lord. So when Solomon says, don't forget my teaching, it's more than a case of amnesia. Uh, Tremper Longman says, and I quote, not to forget is to remember, and to remember something in the Old Testament means more than mere cognitive retention. To remember or not forget means to obey. And that thought is reinforced with the next part of verse 1, which elaborates, do not forget my teaching. It says this, but let your heart keep my commandments. Uh, this past Wednesday uh, night, our table talk study was on David and Bathsheba. Uh, Tim, who was teaching, made the excellent point that when David sinned against Bathsheba, it wasn't just that he forgot the Lord's teaching or the Lord's law. Instead, he disobeyed the law. Um, that, that is really what the wise father is saying to his son. Obey the teachings of the Lord. See what Jesus says as more important than what you think or say. Live your life in conformity to God's law. David, and in fact everyone in the Old Testament... And all of us here today didn't obey the law. We forgot the teachings 
of the wise father. But thankfully, Jesus didn't forget. After his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. There he fasted, was tempted by Satan. Jesus took the full force of Satan's temptations and did not forget the law. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. With every new temptation, Jesus submitted to the Father and obeyed the law. And he did that perfectly, so much so that when He went to the cross. He did so as the spotless, blameless, sinless Lamb of God who was crucified for our sin, not His own. And so today, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, we're forgiven for forgetting the law. And the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us. In in Christ, we're counted righteous. It's when... And it's when we are alive in in Jesus that the Spirit empowers us to learn from and follow Jesus. That really is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. In the Great Commission, Jesus commands us to go into all of the world to make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And then in verse 2, of Proverbs 3, we see a blessing. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So this idea of length of days and years of life is a way of describing God's blessing. It's similar to long life in the land of promise. In the Old Covenant, it would have been disobedience on Israel's part that would shorten their stay in the land of promise. But a life lived in obedience to the law, which... Jesus did for us, we will experience God's blessing. And that blessing is further described here as peace. And peace means more than the absence of strife. It points to a rich and meaningful existence lived as we walk with the wise. Secondly, as you walk with the wise, or as you live by faith in Jesus, saved by His redemptive work and empowered by the Holy Spirit, don't forget or don't forsake steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 3, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So Solomon's saying that to us. But, We see again and again in the Old Testament that normally it was the Lord who was credited for having steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says, The Lord, the Lord, a a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. That's how the Lord is described again and again. The the Hebrew word for steadfast love is kesed. It means to have covenantal loyalty, to be covenant keepers. Uh, God had established the Mosaic Covenant with Israel to show them how to live as God's people whom he had saved out of slavery in Egypt. Um, In This old covenant, God promised blessings for their obedience to the law, curses for their disobedience to the law, and God always kept his promise or his covenantal obligations to Israel, but Israel failed again and again. The the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness stand in stark contrast to all of the other people in the Old Testament. Israel fell short of being faithful to the Lord again and again. We're no different. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But thankfully, Jesus was different. Jesus was full of steadfast love or covenantal loyalty and faithfulness. Matthew 5.17 tells us that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And because of this, as I mentioned before, it was the God the Father's purpose to make Jesus the sinless Lamb of God to, to take away our sin once and for all. 1 John 
3.5 says it very succinctly, and I quote, You know that He, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. That can't be said about any of us, only Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So the law revealed man's sin, but God sent Jesus to give us something better. The Father sent His Son to establish a new covenant in His blood where there would be real forgiveness of sin. In the new covenant, we're restored to a right relationship with God. Not only that, but in the new covenant, we are given a new heart, that old, stubborn um, uh, heart was removed and, and God gave us a new heart that is soft and responsive to God. So when God saves us through faith in Jesus, He gives us a new desire and a new ability to learn from and follow Jesus. I grew up going to church. I had a Bible I would occasionally read my Bible. I listened to sermons. I attended youth group. I even took my turn in teaching a Bible study in the youth group. But I was just going through the motions. My heart was far from God. In my life, I forgot God day after day. I disobeyed God continually. I had no desire for God. I lived however I wanted to live. I had no fear of God. I was just like Israel in the Old Covenant. I had a hard heart towards God. But when God chose to give me new life in Jesus, when God opened up my eyes to see His beauty, His glory, and I was given eyes to see my sin and when God revealed Jesus Christ to me and showed me the work that Jesus did for me on the cross, He blessed me with the gift of repentance and faith. And He saved me. It, it, it was God's work to turn my heart from sin and turn it to Jesus to trust in Him alone for my salvation. It was God's work in Christ by the Holy Spirit that put a desire in my heart to believe the Gospel and to keep believing the Gospel and to seek to be faithful in learning from and following Jesus. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all to God's glory alone. That's why we have the five solas here in our auditorium, just to be a constant testimony, reminder that our salvation is because of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all to God's glory alone. And in that life God has given to me in Christ, to us in Christ, there is a blessing. Verse 4 says, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Every blessing, every blessing, every blessing we have in life is because of what God has chosen to give us in Jesus. It's in Jesus that we stand in His grace or in His favor. That, that favor doesn't change because it's based upon what Jesus did for us. There is nothing we could do or not do to be more blessed by God. We are blessed by God because of Jesus. Man... Mankind would never, ever come up with a gospel so rich and free. Every man-made religion in the world is built upon what man must do for God. What man must do to appease an angry God. But the gospel is what God has done for man. And that is really the storyline of the Bible. The Bible is all about what God has done to redeem a people through Jesus. 
for the glory of his great name. Or as one pastor has said, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And so it makes perfect sense that we should, as verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Uh, The third exhortation in this passage is this, don't lean on your own understanding. But, But isn't that... Isn't that our temptation all of the time? Ever since the Garden of Eden, man always wants to go their own way rather than God's ways. And it shows up in in every area of our life. Sinful man wants a works-based religion so that they can feel good about themselves. God wants a grace-based religion so that he gets the glory. Sinful man wants praise and recognition, God saves us to live for the praise of His glory. Sinful man wants revenge against our enemies. God saves us to bless and forgive and love our enemies. Sinful man wants a child-centered home. God saves us to have a Christ-centered home. Sinful man wants to be his own king of his kingdom. God saves us to live for the King, Jesus Christ. Sinful man wants comfort and power and respect and pleasure. God saves us to sacrificially give for the good of others and for the glory of God. Sinful man wants to be served. God saves us to serve others. Sinful man wants to be loved God loves us so that we can love Him and love others. I, I could go on and on, but you get the point. God's ways are so much different and better than man's ways. The Lord said in Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and, your thoughts than, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So sin, sinful man... Sinful man wanted a powerful Messiah to overthrow the Romans. God wanted a crucified Savior to overthrow death and sin. Verse 6 says, In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. So when we acknowledge Christ, we know Christ. We know His ways. We want His ways. Our minds are filled with His teachings, His Word resonates in our hearts. His thoughts and desires rule our thoughts and desires. And the blessing is this. He will make straight your paths. Uh, The straight paths are the best paths with the least obstacles. These are to be contrasted with the crooked paths which end in life, or end in death, excuse me. The blessing of learning from and following Jesus is life, life eternal. So, don't be wise in your own eyes. Verse 7, be not wise in your, in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your, to your flesh and refreshment to your bone. So, fearing the Lord and turning away from evil rather than being wise in your own eyes has many benefits. Ultimately, it's good for our soul, it's good for our relationship with God and other people, but it's also possible that fearing the Lord and turning away from evil is good for our whole being, even our physical bodies. When King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah to cover it up, he, he didn't come clean for some time, maybe up to nine months. When, when David did repent, as Psalm 32 shows us, he states that during that time when he was covering up his sin and not repenting of his sin, he says his bones wasted away and God's hand was heavy upon him and his strength was sapped like like that of the heat in summer. Uh, The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul even says, in 1 Corinthians 11, that some are ill and even died because they ate the bread and drank the cup 
in an unworthy manner. But it must also be said that there are times, plenty of times, when the righteous suffer. Job is an example of that. And Job ultimately pointed to Jesus, who was righteous but was crucified as a common criminal. So suffering doesn't always mean you're guilty of sin. But the real point here is this, that there are many benefits for our whole being, body and soul, either in this lifetime or in the lifetime to come, for fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. This would be the opposite of being wise in your own eyes. Now, verses 9 and 10 add, don't neglect to be generous. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with, uh, with, with wine. So Solomon here is not teaching a prosperity gospel. Um, the blessings of good health in verse 8 and the blessings of barns filled with plenty here in verse 10 don't make material blessings king. Rather, the point being made here is that all of life, every part of our being, belongs to God. We have nothing good that God has not given to us. And we all, have, all that we have belongs to God. And, and if all that we have belongs to God, then it's only fitting and right for us to hold on to it loosely and to seek to be good stewards of what He has given to us for God's glory. Um, that is God's way rather than man's way. And 2 Corinthians 9 teaches us that God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to be, to, to be generous in meeting the needs of others for their good and for God's glory. And when you are generous, when you have generous hearts and you are a cheerful giver, it's impossible to outgive God. If you are a good steward, with a little, God will give you more to steward for the sake of His glory and His name. In fact, Jesus, though He was rich, became poor so that by His poverty you might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 9. What One final thing here, verse 11, don't despise the Lord's discipline. We've talked a lot about blessings that God has given to us in Christ, but one of those blessings is the discipline of a loving Heavenly Father for His children. Um, God has saved you through the cross of Jesus so that you will grow in wisdom. God wants you to grow in your ability to make godly choices in the nitty-gritty details of life. And sometimes when there are pockets of foolishness in us, when we want to go our own way rather than God's way, He loves us enough to discipline us for our good. God wants to produce a harvest of righteousness in you. So don't despise or resist or lose hope when you're being disciplined by the Lord. Your heavenly Father is showing you that you really are one of His beloved children. So here in this passage, there are six exhortations or commands. Um, and each command comes with a rich blessing for your life if you obey. This is, this is indeed wonderful, but you need to remember, again, three important truths. One, you can't do this. <laughs> Two, Jesus did it for you, and it's only through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. And His work of redemption and the work of the Holy Spirit that empowers you, that you will be able to obey and trust the Lord with all of your heart. Um, I, I want to suggest that the theology of our little granddaughter is really very fitting. I need help! And when that is the cry of your heart, I implore you to run to Jesus.
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. There, there is where you will find the help that you need to know wisdom and to grow in wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, it is because of your mercy and grace that we're here today. It's because of the work that you have done through your son, Jesus, whom you sent to the cross to lay down his life as an atonement for our sin, that today we can be a people who are redeemed, who experience forgiveness, who have been given a new heart and a new, a new desire, a new ability, in fact, to learn from Jesus and to follow Jesus. We, together, just want to say thank you. Thank you for the work that you've done through your Son for us and for the glory of your name. And, Father, as a redeemed people, I pray that you by your Spirit would enable us to grow in our ability to turn away from our own desires, our our own ways, our own man-made solutions, and help us to trust you with all of our heart. Help us to know you. Help us to know your ways. Help us to know your teaching. Help us to know your word. Give us understanding. Fill us with wisdom so that we know how to make godly choices in the nitty-gritty details of life for our own good and for the glory of God. The, The task before us to grow in wisdom is really beyond us, but Father, we remember and we're thankful for Jesus and the Holy Spirit that empowers us and enables us. And so, Father, help us as a body of believers as we lean upon Christ to follow Him, to learn from Him, follow Him with all of our heart more and more every day of our lives. Help us. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.
also. So you guys can just stand to my right. Uh, as they're making their way here, just a couple of reminders. Uh, we've got a couple more weeks of table talk on Wednesday night starting at 6 o'clock. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that. And um, there are a number of things coming up in September. Uh, men's retreat at Camp Fairwood, ladies retreat at Camp Fairwood, our Chili Fest that will be taking place Saturday, the 30th of September. There are little flyers on the table, uh, round table in the back, pick them up. Begin thinking about who you can invite, neighbors, friends, co-workers. We want to introduce the church and really the good news of Jesus to those who are unchurched. And so be praying for about those people that you can ask to come and be a part of that. And we'll be giving more information about the Chili Fest uh, in, the weeks, in the weeks ahead. But for now, we want to pray and we're going to give our new members, the right hand of fellowship. And when I get done praying, I'm going to ask you just to come this way and extend the right hand of fellowship to them as well. So let's pray together. Father, it really is with grateful hearts that we are together as a body of redeemed people, redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus, empowered by your Spirit to seek wisdom and to grow in wisdom. Father, we need your help, and we thank you for your promise to help. And so as we go from here, help us to go not filled with self-confidence, but filled with confidence and trust in you for our good and for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name.